part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to, to Jonah. This is our last week in it. Uh, the last six weeks, have, I pray, have been real good and rich for us as we find out different things about this story. I hope that we found out that it's really kind of different than just a story about a guy who doesn't want to do what God wants him to do and gets swallowed up by a big fish. We're captivated by a lot of interesting facts and different things that happen here. And yet I pray that as we would close in the seventh week, that we would really see that that really wasn't the point, that the fish was just a character playing a part. It plays an important part, but it's just it's not the main point of the story. And this morning we're going to come, and, and I'm so glad that we sing that song last, because, you know, we sing there, you're a good, good father. And, and we start singing about you're perfect in all your ways. Well, you know, just based on that, guys, we can divide this group, and we can divide all of humanity into three different groups in reference to that, that he's a good, good father, and he's perfect in all his ways, and all, all the rest of the song. There are those that believe that. And you would amen that in your heart. You said, yes. There would be those that do not believe that. To think that the world is full of people that just believe that God is this good, good father and that he's perfect in all the ways. You know people that do not believe that. There may be even here this morning some people that say, no, I don't believe that. I can't explain some of the violence and some of the hardship and all the different things that not just happen to other people, but happen to me. But there is a third group. And that third group, I think, is where a lot of us probably actually live. And that is, we do believe that, and yet somehow there are days and waves of our lives and emotions and thoughts and all that where we're going, okay, really perfect in all your ways? Well, if you were perfect, why is this happening? Why did that happen? Folks, I don't call that necessarily just out-and-out doubt and unbelief. What I call that is just struggling to believe. And there is a difference, I believe, between unbelief and struggling to believe. When we see that father in the Bible that comes up to Christ and he brings his child to Christ, you know, to, to, for Christ to heal him, and he says, you know, I believe, but help my unbelief. It's my favorite prayer in the entire Bible. Why? Because that describes me. I believe, but will you help me in those times that unbelief really just seems to be knocking on the door? When the hardships in my own life or the lives of others, or especially the lives of my children, you know, that's where you just attack sometimes. You know, okay, I can't get to you, can't get to Man, if I get to your child, I will get to you. What a reality. And so is it surprising that we as moms and dads who take on that emotion and that vulnerability to our kids, is it not surprising that one of the most intimate terms that we see in all the Bible is that God says, okay, I'm your father and you're my children. Not... I am your commander and you are my subjects. I mean, certainly he rules over us. He could use anything he wants to describe. And yet what he describes, especially in the New Testament, is this intimacy that because of what Christ has done, that he is a heavenly father and we are his children when we place belief in what he's done through Jesus Christ. So I don't know where you are this morning. If you're that one that says, yes, good, good father, perfect in all of your ways, not a doubt in my mind. If you're one of those that says, really? Perfect in all your ways? I can name about five or six things I don't think are so perfect in this world today. Or would you place yourself in that third category? I believe, I really do believe, but 
man, I have some unbelief because I find out that sometimes I am like that tree that sways in the wind, that as the winds blow, that my emotions, my thoughts, and even my belief can kind of be all over the place. I believe, but I want God, even this morning, to help my unbelief. Certainly that would be a great prayer for Jonah. He's a prophet of God. He's called of God to go tell God's message, and, and yet we see a stubbornness, we see a rebellion. And what we see most of all, as we've looked the last six weeks, is this one heart and mind that is just in disagreement with God. He just doesn't agree with God. Now, what is it that he doesn't really agree with God? That God is gracious, kind? No, he says that he's a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger, that he is abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Those are Jonah's own words in chapter 4, verse 2 and 3. He, he describes God and these wonderful, wonderful descriptions of God. Now, as we've discovered, his disagreement is how God is metering out all of this wisdom, mercy, grace. Maybe the final word that we would use today is justice. Can we show that first picture? Sure. Anybody know what... Maybe the second, yeah, that one. Anybody know that's a small part of something that's a bigger statue that you find in a lot of courtrooms, you find it outside the courthouse. Anybody know what that is a small picture of? Justice, Justice but scales. The actual, um, if you want to say statue, is whose arm is that? <laughs> Lady Justice. So you had it. Okay, Lady Justice. Okay, go ahead and show the bigger picture. You know, Lady Justice, you'll find some version of this in just about every courthouse uh, around the United States, even other parts of the world. And I want you to notice there's three things that are kind of peculiar or particular about Lady Justice, okay? Number one, we see the scales, and that stands for, you know, justice, and that the scales are there of balance, and that right and wrong somehow is going to be kind of you know, equalized and that justice is going to be metered out. But I want you to notice two other things that are important about Lady Justice. One is, well, what is on her eyes? Blindfold. Now, what do you think that means? Yeah. yeah she's blind to status. You know, these people don't get more justice than these people at this status, whether that's your background, the color of your skin, this, that, and the other. That supposedly justice, as it would be performed in the courtroom, should be metered out to all people equally. So part of Lady Justice is this blindness to the person. Now, she also has something else in her hand. What is that? What do you think that means? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. She, that she has the authority for justice to be completed and carried out swiftly if necessary. And so you go to a courthouse or courtroom, you, you will find some version of this oftentimes, that this lady justice is very much blind to uh, a person's status in life so that justice is really metered out in an equitable way. Jonah's not quite there. But the honest thing is, guys, you're not there and I'm not there. It's an amazing thing that depending on what side of you know, a particular uh, stand is if you think justice is being metered out. Have you ever been, one of those frustrating things, 
and a line of cars and all the cars are going over the speed limit and you just happen to be one of them, but you're the lucky one that gets to, to donate to the policeman's ball. I mean, have you ever, and you're going, okay, there's just no justice. Everybody was what? Yeah, they were speeding. So in one way, you're going, okay, how am I the lucky one that gets the ticket when there was three or four, five different people? In fact, that red car, about a mile back in the road, you know, came around me and was going really fast. Why did you not catch them? Totally ignorant in one way of that we were breaking the law, that we were going too fast. And then for that moment and that day, we just say, okay, this isn't justice. This isn't fair. That's kind of where Jonah is. We all have a measure of internal sense of justice. It's based on our limited grasp of the facts. Sometimes it's based on biased feelings that we have with parties involved. As much as a lady justice would have this blindfold, folks, truth is most of us don't have a blindfold on when it comes to determining justice in our own minds. We have our mind working, our heart kind of beating toward what we think would be proper justice in this case. Basic bottom line is that we have a very limited understanding of justice. Being honest, really honest with yourself and and honest in your theology, honest in your belief. Are there times, honestly, you don't have to say yes or no. You don't have to raise your hand. Are there times that you really kind of get Jonah's heart? Not so much his belief about these people, but you've been in in, in his place. And you're going, okay, God, you know, I know you're in control and I know that you're holy God and that, you know, there's nobody above you. And yet you've struggled with some of the things that happen in your life, the lives of the people that you love, happen in the world around you. And you cry out that God would bring judgment. I just make it right. In one way, I understand that. Why? Because I've felt that way many times. Another way, isn't that the most arrogant thought that could really kind of come to man? to second-guess God in the way that he would meter out justice. I mean, when you really start to grasp that, guys, what a bold proclamation that we are making to holy God that somehow, even if it's just the emotions, even if it's just the logic of our own limited understanding, that somehow we would point our voice heavenly and say, God, you know, I don't know. If I was you, I have a friend, and that's like his favorite term, if I was you. To the point that if you ever go on a trip with this guy, after about two hours, you've heard it 20 times. Well, if I was you, I would take this exit. If I was you, you know, and, and after a while, you just kind of, you know, you want to turn to him and say, but you're not me. Okay? You're just not me. And I wonder, in all this holiness, if there's times that God has looked upon Bobby and you. And said, so Bobby, I'm not you. You have limited understanding. You do not have authority here. You do not see the big picture. You, you see limited things. And, and Bobby, if I hear in your prayer one more time, well, God, if I was you, <laughs> it's a natural feeling. It's a natural response to the things that are unknown to us. And that's why we need to have foundational belief. Who is the character of God? Is he truly perfect in all of his ways? What we're going to do today, I'm going to tell you the end before the beginning. So that when we get to the end, hopefully we can grasp that. It's one of those things in theology, if you don't get the big picture, you're never going to get the little picture. If you don't get the big concept, we never get the the concept of day to day. And so there's a big concept today, just really a big concept 
I would say, a basic of theological, biblical belief. That if we don't get this, it's going to be really hard for us to practice Monday and Wednesday and with this friend and with this family member and with this, what seemingly to be an injustice in our life. So wait for the big moment. And know that today that you, you are hopefully going to walk out of here with this so that we can handle this. Remember that from last week? We're going to come back to that in just a little bit. Open your Bibles again, Jonah chapter 4. When we left last week, Jonah, have, finally he did go on in his sermon uh, spree there. He told uh, the Ninevites the, the message that God had given him. Uh, they repent. They actually turn to God. And uh, from the lowest, it said, all the way up to the king. And so they repent. And so God decides in his mercy and his grace that he's going to spare Nineveh from destruction. Remember, 40 days Man, you're going to be destroyed. But he decides because they've repented, they've turned to him, they've broken their old ways, that God is going to change his mind. That's a whole other theological discussion about can God change his mind. It's a way of showing us that God would meter out this, but because of the response of man, God is going to do this. It really, he didn't change his mind. It was kind of a conditional thing that we saw back there in chapter 2, but now, or chapter 3. But what we get here is that Jonah's still mad. And he's not angry that God is merciful. He's just angry that God's going to be merciful toward the Ninevites. He's not so much, you know, angry that God is a, a long, patient God, a long-suffering God. He, he's just kind of ticked that God is long-suffering toward the Ninevites. Why? Because they are the evil empire. If you're a Jewish guy, a Jewish person, there's nobody that you really despise more that is more of your arch enemy than the Assyrians, the Ninevites. These are people that clashed, and they're still clashing even today. And so what we see here is this confrontation. And and Jonah cannot wrap his arms around how God could be merciful to these violent people. To the point, look what he says again in verse 5, where we left off last week. Jonah went out of the city, and he sat on the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat uh, under it in the shade till he... uh, I'm sorry, until he should see what would become of that city. So he goes out, he preaches this sermon, they repent. He leaves right afterwards, he goes out, and he's going, and instead of just going back to home, he actually kind of goes up on a hillside, kind of where he can view the city, this big city, and uh, he kind of does a little lean-to there to block the sun just a little bit. Remember, this is the Middle East, this is Assyria, it's one of those that gets really, really hot. And so he makes kind of a little bit of a lean-to to shelter himself from the sun a little bit. But look at the last part of that verse, till he should see what would become of this city. Now, here's the problem with that. God has already told him what would become of this city. If they repent, he's going to have mercy and grace upon them. And yet what we see here is that Jonah says, well, you know, maybe there's a slim chance. Maybe there's a slim chance that God will really see it my way. Remember when God gave Jonah a second chance? I want you to kind of see both the humor and the tragedy in this. In a way, Jonah is giving God a second chance. That's what I see here. That's my interpretation of this, when he goes out there and says, okay, he's going to wait to see what happens to the city. God has already said what's going to happen to the city. He's going to spare the city. And yet Jonah is out there kind of like, okay, I wonder if God is going to kind of change his mind and he's really going to destroy these people because they're really evil people. How arrogant. 
when we see it in Jonah. Do we see that same arrogance when we see it in ourselves? That God has just pronounced his love? You know, again, our most common phrase, you know, that he said, okay, because you've been forgiven much, you are to forgive what? Much. And yet when we get into the crucibles of life and we get into a relationship that hasn't been all that great, and all of a sudden we've been offended and we've been hurt, it's really hard to kind of put that into practice. And there's times that we sit back and we're going, okay, you know, I'm glad that God is the God of grace, but you know, every once in a while, God, somebody just needs to get what's coming to them. Have you ever had that moment? I mean, let's just be honest. That somebody has so ticked you off, somebody has so made you mad, somebody has done something so unrighteous in your mind that you're going, okay, God, get them. Just show them. Because I want them to learn the good lesson. No, that's not our heart at all. We just want God to get them. This is what they deserve. But who formed that sense of justice in, your mind, in, in that phrase? Your own mind and your heart. Your limited facts. Your limited understanding. Has God ever really humbled you that you made judgment on somebody and then you found out the rest of the story and he totally dismantled all of your grief and all of your anger and all that? Because you saw the rest of the story. And when you saw the rest of the story of what was really involved, what this person did was still maybe wrong, but you began to understand, man, look at the home that they grew up in, or look at this tragedy that happened in their life, or because of this. And all of a sudden, as you expanded and you had more information, you began to actually understand some of the things of why their mind was ticking and kind of going that way. It doesn't make an excuse for wrong, but all of a sudden you had compassion. Well, Jonah's not there yet. He goes, camps up on the hill. He kind of gets up there so he can look over this big city. Remember, it said it was a great city. He looks over and he's camping out there really hoping that what he sees is the destruction of these Ninevites. Verse 6. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it may be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. He's out there. It's really hot. Somebody was just saying it was like 117 in Arizona. And it was like that kind of hot. He's out there and just really, really hot. He builds this little lean-to, but, you know, it's got like this much shade. And so this God appoints and grows a plant that comes up and shades him. We don't know what kind. People have speculated what kind of plant this is. Does it really matter? All that matters is that the shade came up, and all of a sudden it was like this. You know, he was completely covered in shade. Look what happens. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Now, one verse before, he was exceedingly what? And he goes from being really angry that God's doing all this to the place where he's exceedingly mad to exceedingly glad. And there was only one thing that changed. What, was, what, what changed in Jonah's life between the previous verses in the opening of chapter 4 and this verse? his own personal comfort, the shade. The Ninevites didn't do anything different. God didn't, I mean, God did grow this up. But isn't it amazing that when we get comfortable and God is kind and gracious to us, now did Jonah do anything? Did he say, you know, I've heard that if you toil the, uh, till the soil and if you plant these seeds and if you water and tend it and everything happens, that this kind of plant will grow and then I can sit under it for shade. Did he do anything to make this plant grow? Not a single thing. God appointed it. God did everything. And yet he's the beneficiary of this. And so he's under this shade. And it says that he is exceedingly 
glad. Now, again, the Bible doesn't mince words. When it puts a word in there like exceedingly, it's purposeful. He wasn't go, oh, that feels a little bit better. No, it was really, really hot. This plant comes up. He's now in shade, and he is exceedingly glad. God says that for a purpose. Verse 9. I'm sorry, for verse 7. But when dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, and so it withered. It comes up, it grows, it gives him shade. He's all comfortable. He's exceedingly glad. That night, dawn comes, and, and uh, all of a sudden there's a, a time in, in the next, when uh, dawn comes up the next day that God appointed a worm to come along. Now, if you notice, that word appointed keeps on showing up in Jonah, doesn't it? What is that showing us? God's in control. He's the sovereign God. That these things are just not happening. These are not freaks of nature. That a fish didn't just come up and decide that Jonah looks good and swallows Jonah. That God is appointing the storm. He's appointing a fish. He appoints the fish to spit him up on dry land. God keeps on appointing things. God is in control of this situation. Jonah is outside there and all of a sudden he points this plant to grow up. He gets shade. He's exceedingly glad. And then God appoints a worm come and destroy as fast as Jonah had received it. Now it's gone. Look at verse 8. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that, it was, that he became faint. The, the Hebrew word here is the word for boxing, what we would use for boxing, that this wind, have you ever been in such an oppressive heat, an oppressive wind, that it felt like it was just kind of boxing you? That's the word that's used here. So he's not just hot. He's not just sweating a little bit. No, it is boxing him. It is beating him on the head. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Again, this is where you kind of think that the little light bulb would come on. That he said, ah, you know, God's trying to teach me something here. There's an illustration in here, but he doesn't. And God comes back in verse 9 and asks the same question that he did before. Because this is not the first time that Jonah said, man, I just wish I would die. It's actually the third time. If I'm God, you know that phrase before? Well, if I was you, I would grant his wish. Third time's the charm. You want to die? I can help you with that. That's why I would not be a good God. (laughs) Okay? And I would not be perfect in all my ways. And I would not be a good, good father. Because you asked me once, a little forgiving. Second time, you're getting on my nerves. Third time, I'll help you out. And yet, look what happens here, guys. Look what happens here. So important. Verse 9, but God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry? In other words, do you have a right to be angry at this plant? And look at Jonah's response. He says, yes, I do well. I do have a right to be angry, angry enough to die. God's question reveals the ignorance that is involved in Jonah's life. Jonah's not playing with a complete stack of, stack of cards here, though. complete deck. He does not have full information. He makes a judgment saying, okay, I'm just frustrated. I'm ready to die because the shade that I had yesterday is now gone today, even though he did nothing to merit either one. His statement is one of complete arrogance and it's one of complete ignorance. You do well to be angry, angry enough to die. 
That's his statement. He had the right. He said he had the right to an anger, the right to this injustice. And here's the major truth, guys. You will never get the little picture until you get the big picture. What is the big picture? That's what we want to answer with the remaining text. Verse 10 and 11. And the Lord said, You pitied the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Little picture. There was a plant that grew up in a day, and it was gone in a day. Big picture. The internal destiny of 120,000 people. Now again, people say, is this all the people of Nineveh? We don't know. When it says about not knowing your left hand for your right hand, there's a lot of interpretations that. Some say that was the number of children, so the number of adults would have been a multiple of that. That if there was 120,000 children, there could have been 600,000 you know, adults. That he's just taking the children for an example. He could be talking about their spiritual ignorance. That these people are not people that grew up going to church. These are not people that heard about the one true God. And so he's calling them, they don't know what their left hand or their right hand is doing. They don't know one from the other. He could be talking about their moral compass. That they just don't know right from wrong in one sense. But it really doesn't matter which one of those is the most strict application of that. Do you see the picture that God comes back and says, okay, Joni, you're so upset. I mean, you, you went from being exceedingly glad to exceedingly mad over one thing. But this one thing, you never had anything to do with it. You didn't plant the seed. You didn't water it. You didn't tend it. You had nothing to do with the shade. And so really you have no complaint to make when the next day it's gone. Do you think that even in a relationship with God that there's a sense of entitlement? If I ask most of you people, and we were coming from a political kind of level, and I start talking about entitlement, I could imagine some of you, oh man, yeah, we feel, people today, they feel entitled. And we would look at that politically as being something very offensive that this is not a right, and people who demand rights that really are not rights, that that's just wrong. Now let's think spiritually. Does God owe you anything? I see a lot of people saying no. That's correct, but can I give you even a more complete theological answer? Does he owe you anything? The most complete theological answer is yes. And it's an eternity of separation from him. Why? Because we sin. Grace is not owed to you. Grace is not owed to me. Forgiveness is not owed to you. Jesus was not owed to you. This is not something we can just kind of say, okay, God, I'm not comfortable in life, and so you, you kind of owe me a comfortable life. God, in his grace and his mercy, because he's this good, good father, gave his only son that you and I may have eternal life. That's what God, in his patience and his love and mercy, is showing to Jonah. Jonah, look, you complain about something you had 
nothing to do with, and you count it as a right, I'm telling you there's a bigger picture going on. Should I not, as holy God, that I spare 120,000 people that did not know their left hand from the right hand? What's the big picture? Got to point at a storm. Got to point at a fish. He pointed to that fish, spit Jonah up on dry land. Got appointed uh, uh, an ability for this plant to grow up. He appointed then a worm. He appointed uh, an east wind to come in and kind of make Jonah really uncomfortable. But the biggest picture is he appointed a savior, guys. Don't think that this is just an Old Testament book, totally disconnected from the New Testament promise of Jesus Christ. I, I would venture to say, and I would tell you that every Old Testament book is the foretelling of Christ coming. And though his name is never mentioned here, we don't talk about a little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. We don't see a picture of a cross here in the most definitive of ways here. But the, the, the book of Jonah is a story about you and I, that in our rebellion, in our disagreement sometimes, that we just don't understand the things of God, and that we might even, on that rare occasion, shake our fist toward God, that God is still a God of grace and mercy and love. And that all this appointing that he's doing leads up to appointing that he would appoint his own son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place. Now, now how's that the big picture? When I grasp that God would would not withhold his own son toward me, is there really any good thing that God would withhold for us? I realize that is a, a... in, in, in human terms, a can of worms. Because I, I see really bad things happening to what we would consider really good people all the time. And that's where that sense of justice comes in. We're going, okay, I, I can see if this old, you know, contrary person over here kind of got evil. But she was just a sweet, sweet lady and she didn't deserve it. See, once we get the little picture wrong... We're not going to get the big picture, but we have to get the big picture right in order to get the little picture right. And this big picture is that not one of us, not one of us, guys, deserved the grace and the mercy. Not one of us earned the right for Christ to die in our place and to take our sins away. It is the grace of God. It is the love of God. It is the gift of God. And once we understand that and grasp that, This is going to sound so cutting to to a lot of people that are really going through some really difficult times. But once you get this and you really accept that he's a good, good father, perfect in all of his ways, all of a sudden the little imperfections of our life, and when I use that word little, I do not mean that they're not painful, that they're not harmful, that they're not, you know, make us exceedingly unhappy. But all of a sudden everything begins to focus because we realize the heart of God. We want justice, though. God, this evil, this, this thing that's going wrong in my family, this sickness or whatever, this is not just. We've we got to get the big picture. Let me give you one more scripture, then we're going to close. One more big uh, scripture that gives us a big picture of the greatest injustice and yet the greatest justice ever done in human history. Isaiah chapter 53. It's not going to be up here on the screen. If you want to open up your Bible, 
the cross the greatest injustice ever. Why? Because he who truly was without sin went to the cross. The greatest justice ever done? Why? Because all the sins of man were placed on him. Isaiah 53, 3, and then we'll close. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He's talking about Christ. This is before Christ ever came, born as a baby in a you know, before Christmas, that first Christmas song, Enjoy the Lord, long before that, Isaiah, hundreds of years before, is prophesying this. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that has brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Here's the truth, guys. Verse 5, verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, like a uh, sheep that was before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And going down to verse 10, I want you to see this. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. One of the most intriguing verses in the entire Bible. If you read Genesis to the end of Revelation, you will not find a more intriguing verse than Isaiah 53.10. That it pleased the Father, God, to do what? To crush his son, Jesus. That doesn't sound like a good, good father. It doesn't sound like somebody who's perfect in all of his ways. How can the Bible actually say that it pleased God to crush his sons? You go look at it, guys. That's what it says. You want to know the answer to that? Because it's a big picture answer. That when you and I, if you've trusted Christ, when you stand before God one day, God does not relinquish his holiness in order to say, come on in and be with me for eternity. Why? Because the fullness, all justice has been done when Christ died in my place. And one day you and I will stand before God himself and our claim won't be, but we really tried hard. We really were at least better than that guy down the street. We went to church a lot. No, there will be one answer, and that justice was done when Christ took our penalty upon himself and died in our place. Isn't there joy when justice actually takes place? And the pure the justice, and again, I, do we even know what pure justice is in this fallen world. No. And that's why we disagree with God. That's why we get angry with God. But even when we see a little bit of justice happen in this world, there's something in our heart and soul going, you know, justice prevails. And one day as we stand before God, justice will prevail, not because you planted a plant, because you tendered it and you did this, and it will be because of your good works and your efforts. It will be because of something that God did for you that you did not do for yourself. That's the big picture. Now, what's the little picture? Husbands and wives, you get in a little argument over what is just (laughs) in your household. Family members, what is right, what is just? Work relationships. We will struggle with limited forms of justice as long as we walk this earth, guys. But until we get this one, what Christ has done for us, we're never going to be able to have 
the ability to see little one. That's where Jonah was missing it. He saw himself as favored. He saw the Ninevites as not being favored. He did not see his own sin. He saw their sin. As long as we don't get that big picture and the favor of God and the, the grace of God, we will never be able to give grace. You cannot give what you do not have. But the more that you embrace the grace of God, that is the more we embrace we didn't des- what we deserved was this, but what he's given us is, is his grace and mercy and forgiveness. The more we embrace that, you're going to become a person that is a giver of grace. It just works that way. You get this, and all of a sudden, in the little details of life, even when it doesn't bring comfort, God begins to show you that he's a good, good father. He's truly perfect in all of your ways. Here's a promise. I don't speak for God much unless it's directly reflected in his word. But I can promise you guys, he is much, much more concerned about growing you than making you comfortable. And we, we long for comfort. We long for shade. And we're exceedingly glad. Is there anything wrong with being exceedingly glad when shade comes up and on hot? No. Nothing wrong with that. The evil comes when we think that God owes that to us. And we don't understand. God, when you gave us your son, you gave us your best. Let's pray today. Father, we love you. We thank you. And, And Father... As we wrap up Jonah, Father, I pray that we take away this big picture, that you are a God who will give favor, you will give grace, you will give mercy to those that you decide to give it upon, Father. You don't have to. Father, by the very definition of grace, it's not something you have to do, Father. It is your unmerited love and favor that you give in the same way that you gave to us. Father, we are not entitled. We do not have a right to demand for you to give grace to us. Now, out of your love, you did that. So, Father, will you give us the big picture so that when we go down to the little pictures of our lives and we're dealing with sickness or we're dealing with frustration, we're dealing with husband and wife kind of irritability and we want our own form of justice, that, Father, you'll give us hearts and lives of compassion. Father, it'd be so easy to, to focus on a fish and a plant and a city and all these different things. But, Father, what our heart needs this morning is to focus on this wonderful Savior that you have given us. So, Father, as we close, we, we sing this song as a prayer. We sing it as an affirmation. We, we, we sing it, Father, that our minds and our hearts would begin to grasp this big picture. You are a good, good Father, and you are truly perfect in all your ways. And where we have doubt, Father, we pray that you'd give us belief. We love you and we thank you as we sing this prayer to you. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.com dot corner dash stone dot org or find us on Facebook.